Hello, fellow walkers and friends. Last week on the show, we had transgender pastor and international speaker on gender issues, Paula Stone Williams. And this week, I'm so excited. We have her son, author and pastor of Forefront Church in New York City, Jonathan Williams. If we're not reading the Bible through Jesus, then we're taking everything as equal and giving everything uh, the same weight and taking it at its face value. The Bible's an incoherent text. How can you say, listen to the cries of the poor without looking at what makes them poor? You don't have to believe certain things to be part. The irony is that you can be pro-guns, pro-death penalty, pro-military, anti-environment, and still say you're pro-life. But people get really uncomfortable. It's like they want to have their religion and they want to have their porn. They want to do both. I don't think any form of Christianity deserves to survive and thrive if it doesn't come to terms with the racism of our past. When we really tell the story of Jesus, we find a God who comes to the point where it has all collapsed. If a good teacher is to get a student to get the right answers on the test, and if Jesus was supposed to get us to get the right answer for when we die, then can we just be honest and say, not a good teacher? It is a new year, so let's get our health and nutrition on track. And who better to help us with that than Rise Nutrition? You can find them at Rise Menominee on Facebook. And just for Jesus Never Ran listeners, you can click on their link in the show notes and get a free wellness profile. That's Rise Nutrition. Find them on Facebook at Rise Menominee. That's Rise with a Z. If you missed last week's episode, make sure that after you're done with this one, you go back and listen to the interview I did with Paula Stone Williams. So incredible and insightful. In order to get the story from all sides, this week we have her son, Jonathan Williams. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. I love it. I love when we get to uh, you know create those spaces where we get to talk about what progressive Christianity looks like, and then people get to hear about it and find us, and we get to create more safe spaces for deconstruction and reconstruction. And with all of that, that's what I do for a living. I, I started a church in 2012, and a church called Forefront Brooklyn. We started, you know, as a traditional evangelical church in America, and there came a point where uh, I felt like, what? How are we any different? How are we any different than any other evangelical church at this point? Are, are we more welcoming? Are we are we more interesting in the way we worship? Are are we preaching anything different or anything new? And while all this was rattling around in my head, my father. Paula Stone Williams came out uh, as trans, as transgender, and she decided she was going to live life as a woman. And that raised a whole bunch of questions and thoughts and, and grief and anger and joy and excitement in me, all, all of the above. But what it did is it helped my church. It, it hastened our church's transition to become a progressive Christian church and a church that started out as a LGBTQIA affirming. And then from there grew to be a church that wanted to tackle scripture. So let's talk about inerrancy and, and whether or not we believe that's true and, and we don't. But let's talk about why scripture is still inspiring. And let's talk about how we can be anti-racist and the follower of Jesus. Let's talk about the cross and why the cross is really good news. And it's not because God wanted blood, you know, like, like there's a lot of really, really good uh, reasons and ways in which we get to journey through this Christ following life. And so our church kind of pivoted and shifted. 
And it became that church, that church that was there for deconstruction and reconstruction of faith. And a church that was doing things differently than other churches, you know, down the block or wherever they may be. And so I've been a part of this church for almost 10 years now. We've just moved into what we're calling a triune leadership model. So I, I used to be the lead pastor. And as of January 1, I'm one of three lead pastors. I love that model. I've seen a lot of that being done successfully, especially in more progressive churches. Now, because a lot of us recovering evangelicals, we struggle a little bit with titles when people try to put words on things. And I know uh, a lot of us are using the word progressive in the way that we think and the way that we talk about this new thing that we feel God is doing. Do you mind in your words, and you already shared a little bit about what that means to you, but if someone were to ask you, what does it mean to be a progressive Christian or what does it mean to be a progressive church, how would you define that? I don't like to do this, but we have to do this. We are an evangelical church. We're evangelical in our in, in the way we operate, in our methodology, in the way we worship, in, in, in our, our style of dress, you know, all the above, right? And so because of that, I have to talk specifically about how we're a progressive evangelical church. And so when we sat down and we said, who are we? We believe we're progressive when, A, we are affirming and inclusive. We not only say that all are welcome, but all are included and affirmed and able to lead and to be on staff and to be married in our church. And then we kept that going. What, what else does it mean to be progressive? So we started saying, well, I don't know if we believe in like the traditional views of substitutionary atonement. As Richard Wehr says, I think we believe that the cross isn't so that God changes God's mind about us, but so we change our minds about God. Like, that's mm. good news. And what else? Does, and so we, we started down this path. And then we said, well, scripture is inspired, but it's not inerrant. And so it's, it's the way that people have imagined and reimagined God throughout the ages but the beautiful thing about that is you see this real linear arc of God being more gracious and more loving throughout the scriptures. And so that's why we call ourselves progressive. Uh, we say that Jesus was political. So we say uh, as a progressive Christian church, we're also going to be political. We're not partisan, but we're political in the sense that we will advocate for policies that bring equity to others, just like Jesus did. And so we believe that's a mark of a progressive church. And then the last one is we're an anti-racist church. We're a church that believes we need to be equitable, back to that word. We say Jesus didn't treat people equally. Jesus treated people equitably. So if somebody needed to be lifted up to a higher place, like Jesus was able to do that for that person at the expense of others sometimes. And so we're willing to do that same thing. And so we've identified those as um, the marks of a progressive church, at least our progressive church. And that's what we tend to, we tend to go by. Yeah, and everybody I've asked that question to, they fall in the same general category, but everybody has a little bit of a different spin to it, which I appreciate. That makes it really alive and active, I think. And I love even the political side, and that's really important to a lot of us right now as well. So I, I love that. Now, let's get to the crux of this fascinating situation that we find ourselves in. Here's the part that I find interesting, all of it, but you started your church as an LGBTQ affirming church, as you said, and then, is that true? No, that's not true. Oh, okay. So that switched as well. Yeah, we were not LGBTQ affirming at the time. We were just a, a traditional evangelical Christian church in America. Interesting. Would you define yourself as affirming at the time when you planted your church? Of course, of course. And for the okay. pastors listening, you know, we all know, right? We, we were privately affirming, but we had 
you know, we had about half a million dollars coming in from churches across the country that weren't affirming. And so for me to open my mouth or say anything means the loss of money and income, which means the church doesn't get off the ground. And so we do this whole little song and dance where we kind of betray our beliefs Yes. in order to get a church going. It happens way too often, and I'm, I have done it as well. I regret it. I have done it as well, and I guarantee there's a lot of people listening who are just raising their hand as well. You know, we're human. We're just trying to do what God's calling us to do in the best way that we know how. But here's the fascinating thing. So you, at least personally, would be an affirming human being. And then all of a sudden, your dad comes to you and lets you know that he's transgender. And one thing that I've discovered, and this is in my own personal life story as as well, my daughter is gay. It's a whole different ballgame to be affirming here and affirming to people out there. As soon as as it gets really close to home and it's somebody that you love, in your case, your dad, in my case, my daughter, you are forced to figure out what you truly believe. Did you find that to be true? Oh, so well said. So well said. <laughs> yes. And, and here's the thing. And, and this is the thing. What I recognized is that I was affirming so long as it benefited me. That's, that's what it was. There's a writer who talks about a perspectival madness. And, and this writer says that so long as the narrative is beneficial, we'll always go with that narrative. The second that narrative becomes something that we have to be a bit more introspective, or we have to maybe give up a little something of ourselves, we throw that narrative right out the window. And so when my dad came out, I was angry. I, I denied it. I was like, no, you're, you're not trans. This is ridiculous. This is something else. Or, you know, I was able to affirm others. And yet it took me, geez, it took me, uh, you know, months to affirm my father in the process, even though I said I was affirming. How did that go? How did your father approach you? How did that whole conversation happen? Oh, you know, he, he called me on the phone and he said, Hey, I want to talk to you. And I, I have something to tell you. And I said, great, you know, just tell me on the phone. And he didn't. <laughs> and I, I, you know, there's some rumblings that something was going on. And so my dad and my mom both flew out to, I live in Brooklyn, New York, flew out to Brooklyn from where they live in Colorado. And, you know, sat in the living room and, and were basically like, yeah, I'm, I'm transitioning. I'm going to identify as, as a female and I'm transgender. And, and that was, uh, you know, it was devastating. I, I have a really close relationship with my father and I didn't see it coming. I just did not see it coming at all. There was no signs pointing me in that direction at all. When she came out, it was, I felt like I had lost a dad, but my dad was sitting in the living room and, and uh, I, I grieved a loss, but uh, I grieved a loss and then would call my dad 10 minutes later and be like, hey, how's it going? You know, it's a liminal space to be in. It, you, you know, they're not gone, but they're gone. And so I think that was the hardest part is reconciling that part of the relationship. This is no longer my dad, but hey dad, how are you? Kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so, it, you know, the denial, you know, I, I think I was, you know, psychology 101 in terms of grief, I jumped right into denial and then anger. You know, I got really angry after the fact. And so in my anger, my father was going through her transition and really forcibly transitioned out of the evangelical church world. And in that, and one of my biggest regrets is I did nothing to stop that from happening. I kind of sat back and let it happen and did not stick up for my dad, did not fight for her, did not speak out on her behalf in any way. 
Now, and this is a little bit of semantics, I suppose, but I was asking you ahead of this interview, and I think a lot of people would be interested to know this, and I also think this is a way that we can honor our transgender brothers and sisters around us, just understanding even the wording. And so we talk about, you know, your book that you put out is called She's My Dad. And so do you refer to Paula as your dad? Do you refer to Paula as, I know she's obviously not your mom, but how does even linguistically that work for you? Yeah, there are many ways. And again, listen, I'm a straight white cis male. My my privilege is sky high. So when I talk about when I talk about some of these ways in which I had to grieve or I had to cope or whatever, I'm doing it with the sense that yes, I know my father went through much worse. But one of the things that I had to deal with was was just that titles. And and here's my mom and, and I want to honor my mother. My mother has been my mother since birth, right? And and she's played an incredible role in my life. And so my dad comes out as trans and I don't want to call my dad my mom. I already have a mom. And and so that didn't feel like it would honor my mom. And, and my mom is doing her own thing and she's grieving on the side over here. And I felt like that would further create grief. And so once I came to terms with Paula, you know, identifying as a woman, I said, okay, you know, what should I call you? She said, you know, I've always been your dad. So call me dad. And I said, okay, that's what I'm going to keep doing. Then I'm just going to keep calling you dad. And that gets a little odd, you know, so she'll visit and we'll be in a restaurant and something will happen where I forget my coat. And I'm like, Hey dad, dad, grab my coat. And everybody turns and looks and they're like, what are you talking about? Like, and then I'm like, that's odd. And so, so what I try to do, you know, really to respect her is, you know, if we're in mixed company, I'll never call her dad. I'll call her Paula or say, Hey, this is my parent because I want to honor her as well in that process. So yeah, I call her dad. My sisters don't call her dad. They call her Paula. My children call her grandpaula. <laughs> That's perfect. That worked out well. Now, one of the things we get so, you know, I think in our minds even, and part of the reason that understanding people who are transgendered is so tricky is because we, we assume that once they change gender, once they become the gender that they have always been, honestly, that all of them changes. But from reading a little bit and some excerpts in your book and different things like that, your dad, Paula, is still the same human being that raised you, still interested in the same things, still very much the same person, even professionally what Paula is doing, still pastoring, still speaking. So the the hurdle to get over is simply the gender issue, right? <laughs> yes, and all that comes with <laughs> Just I mean, that. Only that. Yes. Nothing else, yeah. Jonathan. Like, yes, but. Funny joke, but a big but. And the big but is, is that you have to, at least I had to, I'll speak for myself, I had to go back through my childhood. And I think the hardest part was saying, you know, well, if my, if my dad was not living her truth, was, was this father-son relationship truth? Or was this a lie as well? Um, yeah. And so was this a woman dressed in drag who, who raised me? Or, or was this a real father-son relationship? And so I, I had to question everything. And it's a long, arduous process with lots of therapy, right? And, and lots, of, lots of really trying to almost unravel this ball of yarn. And so I say in the book, I say, as my father, you know, her brain chemistry was changing. New neural pathways as she, as she starts to identify as a woman. Our, our whole family had the same thing. Our brain chemistry is changing. We're creating new neural pathways to learn how to not only identify her, but how to reconcile Paul uh, in our childhood with Paula now. And so it's, um, you know, it's a years-long process. Paula came out to me about nine years ago, and I still, I still am unraveling some of that 
to this day. Sure. It's a lot easier now, but I'm still, there's still parts of it that, that don't quite make sense. What was, cause this is something for you and your family because of who Paula is and because of who she was before she transitioned, she's a, a public figure, right? So in some ways this just is going to be public, but for you and your family, this is obviously very private as well. What was it that made you decide to go forward and write write the book she's my dad you know there was there was a point in which um in which we we had to talk and we had to reconcile and, and i remember talking to her about the evangelical world I, I was living in you know i said this isn't easy for me you know i'm living in a world that you used to live in you've right. been kicked out of this world i'm still trying to make my way in it can you show me a little grace and and i remember saying that and Obviously, looking back, it's, it's a super selfish thing to ask. And, and Paula kind of let me know. And so she said, she said, do you have any idea? Like, do you have any idea what it's like to literally lose your job and lose most of your friends in a matter of hours? Do you know what that feels like? And I was like, I have no idea. And she said, well, if you did, you wouldn't ask me that question. Hmm. And I think at that point, there was this light that turned on and, and I was able to look past my own kind of selfish parts. And I thought like my father's livelihood was at stake and I did nothing to help. And because my father's livelihood was at stake and I did nothing to help, I regret that. And that put her in danger. And there are thousands of other people just like my father, whose livelihoods are at stake and who don't have safe space. And at that point I literally said, I was like, fuck it. We actually need to be a church that is going to be a safe space for people like my father. Like that's what we have to do from here on out. It was this, it was a very, um, obviously a really pivotal moment, a really poignant moment. It, so it wasn't something I think that happened over the course of time as much as it was like, Whoa, okay, we're doing it. And, and we started to make plans to, um, to come out quote unquote as a, as a church. And so then the book is just a, a kind of extension of you coming out as a church and then beyond that. So then did you write the book? How, when did the book come out? Forgive me for not the book. The book came out uh, right at the end of 2018. Uh, So, so what, uh, what happened was when we, when our church in Brooklyn uh, became LGBT affirming, uh, the New York times picked that up. They thought it was an interesting story, especially with our relationship. And when the times came out, that kind of opened some the floodgates and, and, you know, we, we both had publishers who wanted us to write books and people approached us. And so we talked about, Hey, you know, is this something we're going to do? Is this something we're going to write about? Is this something we're going to speak about? And we both decided yes together. I think I said, Paul, if I'm going to write this book though, it's going to feel like really raw and really vulnerable. And she was like, okay. And you know, her book's coming out within the next couple of months. And so I know she's written something very similar. And so, so those were opportunities we received. And I'm grateful we received those opportunities. It wasn't so much we decided uh, that we would write books as much as people were like, hey, will you write a book for us? And we got together and said, this is a story we need to tell because we truly believe it will save people's lives, like to hear this story. And, you know, God is good. Like I say, it's it's such a trite saying, but I think the spirit has worked through it in some ways where, yeah, we, people tell us often like, Hey, thank you for writing or thank you for speaking. My daughter, my son, my dad, my whoever is identifies as trans or is, is identifies as queer and, and you've helped us to, to heal. And, and so I think that's, that's the good that's come out of this. There's a lot of people in this world that desire to be completely hundred percent affirming, being able to support the transgendered community in our cultures but there's such a lack of understanding. There's such a lack of information. From your experience with Paula, 
what are some of the things that you think would be helpful for people like myself who desperately desire to be a huge advocate, a huge believer, a supporter, all of those things, but at the same time have so little past to glean from? <laughs> you know, being a, being a preacher, I have to use scripture for this one. Please do. Um, no, no, there's a sense in which like, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You know, that can be translated, thought about, interpreted in any number of ways. But for me, it's really poignant in the sense that, uh, especially as someone who doesn't identify as, as queer or any of the above, start with belief. Like when somebody tells you this is who they are, believe them. And we don't have to necessarily know the facts or we don't have to understand quite yet. In fact, we probably won't understand. But if we start with belief, then we get to sort of help the unbelief part, right? So we start with belief. We lead with love. We say, okay, I'm going to support you even though I do not get this. And then from there, we get the opportunity to slowly learn, to slowly find out that, that to take in that info or to, to understand what might be going on in the bodies of those we love even. That's been my experience. I did not lead with love. I led with, well, this is not true. This is not it. Let me figure out what this actually is. Oh, and now let me do some research. And oh, now that I've done that, now we can start a conversation. And too often we're using that logical, practical part of our brain rather than the part of our brain that tells us to simply empathize. So lead with love, lead with belief, and then we'll figure out the rest as we go. That is the absolute greatest advice anybody could ever give. And I know for our story with with my daughter, we did not do a good job. I think we did a good job loving her, but the thing that we messed up is we did not lead with belief and we had to backtrack and work through that for years because that obviously created hurt and fraction in our relationship. So that is such great advice. I really appreciate that. So what's what's going on now at Forefront Church in your life? What do you guys have going on? Obviously things are shut down right now. I think it's so interesting to hear more about progressive communities because it's still like this unicorn thing. There's not a single progressive church in all of Wisconsin where I live. And so so what do you guys have going on? What is what does church look like in that setting? Anything that you can give a glimpse of? Oh boy. So many things. Yeah, COVID's pretty miserable. And, and so there's a lot of grief. And in fact, today, before I came on, we were planning a, a grief service, actually, just to address some of the grief that we're all facing, which I think is going to be incredibly important. I think, you know, obviously the PTSD we'll have from this year uh, will last for a while. And so it's important to continue to talk about that. That being said, we, we decided in 2019 that we wanted to create more of a national presence because there aren't many churches like ours, right? Because people don't know people in Wisconsin or people in Texas or people wherever don't necessarily know that churches like ours exist. And so we said, Hey, we want more of a national presence, which means we're going to do, you know, we're going to market a little bit more. We're going to get the word out. And COVID sort of forced that to happen. All of our services are online. And because they're all online, we have people watching us from London and Toronto and Dallas and California. In fact, we now have a California watch group, even though our services are in Brooklyn. And so the silver lining in the midst of the grief is being able to create this national presence that allows people to know they're not alone, that the questions they have around deconstructing their faith are valid questions and there's safe space for them to do this, albeit virtual space. And so that's been our that's been our MO during COVID. Obviously, caring for people well has <laughs> also been something that we're attempting to do. I think we're doing it. As a church that identifies the progressive nature as also being political, how have you helped your community get through the turbulent times that have been the last, well, 
we'll call it last few months, but last half a decade or so. <laughs> this is going to, I don't know if this is going to completely answer this question, but I'll tell you what I think. And maybe you've had this experience too. When a church comes out as, as LGBT plus affirming, you lose a ton. You lose money, you lose people, you sort of, you're barely surviving for a little while. And then you also get this huge blessing, which is you can say whatever you need to say or whatever you want to say, because you've, you've already done it. And the people that are there, they're with you. And so when we talk about, especially what's gone on in these past couple months, we're very clear about where we stand. You know, this is evil. This is Christian nationalism. And so we're able to say, hey, we do not follow a national Jesus. We don't, we don't follow Christian nationalism. Our, our religion is, is not Republican. Very clearly we say that. And then we're, we're careful to say, hey, we're not solely Democrat either. What we are, our Jesus policy. If there are policies that are, are bringing love or bringing equity, or if there are policies that are allowing for justice to take place, that's what we want to be a part of. So it's given us the ability just to call what we believe it is. <laughs> and, um, and so we have a community that's rallied around that. And we have a really large justice team that, that works to um, promote policies that do bring equity. Perfect. I love that. How is your, I mean, I know we're flipping back and forth a lot, but there's so much I want to talk to you about because you're a pastor of a progressive church and you're also the son of a transgendered person. It's not just any transgendered human being, but it's Paula Stone Williams for crying out loud. So what is your relationship with your dad like now? So we're nine years past when Paula came out to you. So what does that relationship look like now? I, I think it's always ongoing. I think it's ever evolving. You know, we work in the same arena. We're both progressive pastors, uh, and we both have spent the past two years sharing our story, traveling together. We did a TED Talk together. We, we've been on a couple other shows or whatever. And so it's funny, like during that time, it's been a time of healing and, and just kind of reigniting the relationship and, and remembering the parts that we loved about one another. But then we're also like working together. And we're like, all right, I'm gonna not talk to you for a little bit because I've seen you like way too often. <laughs> so I think there's a little bit of both. <laughs> but ultimately, you know, I, I love my dad dearly. I'm thankful for her. I'm thankful for who she is in my life and our relationship. I think as much as it's going to be has been reconciled and is continually being made new. And, and I think we both continue to look for the little parts where it is being made new and then kind of celebrate, acknowledge those little parts. Like we'll call them out and that's a big deal. Special thanks to Jonathan Williams for being on the show today. What a spectacular human being. She's My Dad is the book. She's My Dad.com is the website. Direct links will be in the show notes. Next week, we have progressive faith pioneer Spencer Burke. This guy was having the conversations we're having today decades ago. Best way to support this podcast, of course, is to subscribe to it. Give us a five-star rating and write a review. Till next time. Keep walking.